Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are standing once again at Jacob's well on a hot day when Saint Fortini, not yet saint and for probably not yet Fortini, comes down in the heat of the day rather than in the morning with the other women to fill her water jug. And there she encounters a Jew who is Christ our God. And they have that conversation about worship, but the focus is Jacob's well. Christ tells her that if she knew who he was, then she would ask him for living water. But it doesn't explain what that living water is, and today we hear that the living water that rises up within the individual so that he shall not thirst again is in fact the Holy Spirit. That is the gift that was offered. But notice that Christ offers it in a way that is somewhat mysterious. Not everything is explained, not everything is given, because in fact we are not always ready to hear everything. We ourselves are the ones who are not prepared. And nothing is given before its time. And it was not time for Fortini. We understand from what the reader chanted more fully what this feast is. This feast at which Christ was present previously promising water to everyone. Water in the desert, water in the wasteland, water in a place that is very dry, water which does not come every time we twist a faucet, taking it for granted, water which is therefore more precious than rubies. Speaking to people who knew the value of water, as you and I in this country, may soon learn again the value of water. So this precious commodity, which is the sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit, is what the Feast of Pentecost becomes in the Church of the New Israel. We have the scene described for us in the New Testament very clearly. The Apostles are gathered together, and the Holy Spirit descends upon them in the form of cloven tongues of fire. It does not descend on Peter, or on one or another, or on just three or six, but upon all and all equally. The first to receive the Holy Spirit are the holy apostles, the immediate disciples of Christ, who have, in fact, as we know, misunderstood so many things, who, after the crucifixion of our Savior, were in a state of depression. You remember those two Lucan Clopas trudging in a depressive state down to Emmaus. Christ falls in with them. Why are you sad? Then Christ explains how the entirety of the Old Testament is about him 
and how the Christ had to suffer. They stop at an end and suddenly they recognize him significantly in the breaking of the bread. Then they understand. But the fullness of understanding is not given until this day when the Holy Spirit descends upon them not as water but as flames of fire. The transition is not contradictory. The transition merely enriches our understanding of what is going on. Those flames of fire which are in every household which illumine the text to be read, the face of the person you are with that gives light, that overwhelms darkness. So it is that like a mighty rushing wind, yet another image for the Holy Spirit, the place is filled and the apostles rise up and speak in other tongues. It is the conviction of the Holy Fathers that the tongues that they are given are in fact consequential upon the water that is rising up within the individual person, the flame that descends upon each of them and is in fact the gift of the prayer of the heart, the establishment of noetic prayer in the heart, the opening up of the blocked artery between the thinking brain and the noose, the thinking part of our hearts, the eye of the heart, as the Syrians had it. <coughs> so it is that the Holy Spirit comes and enables us to say in truth, Lord Jesus Christ, to pronounce the name of our Savior as an invocation, as a benediction, as a summons. So it is that that whole process that the Holy Fathers speak of, purification, illumination, deification, theosis, is given here on this day. We, of course, understand very clearly from the text that now at long last, the apostles can look back, Monday morning quarterbacks they, 2020 eyesight, and see finally what it all meant, what was the true significance and meaning of everything, including the most difficult thing that they had to encompass, they, the human followers of God, and that was the crucifixion itself. Now, at last, it all makes sense. Glory to God on this feast. For on this feast, we will also have those astounding great three kneeling prayers, which, if you pay close attention, speak directly to and of the Holy Trinity, person by person by person. And in these prayers, in fact, at this Vespers this afternoon, we conclude everything that began on the Sunday of Orthodoxy. 
when the church pronounced her solemn anathema on all those who do not teach the truth, but teach an anti-truth. And having solemnly anathematized, placed outside the limits of the church, all those who choose falsehood over truth, the church this afternoon will pray, yes, even for those in hell. So it is that there is this great liturgical bridge from the Sunday of Orthodoxy to the kneeling prayers of Vespers, and a whole season is concluded. It is brought to perfection. Both things must be true of the Church, which must accomplish the difficult task of holding together in tandem, in an organic unity, truth and love. We must speak the truth, but we must speak the truth in love. Truth without love ceases to be itself. Love without truth is a perversion of love itself. This is the task not only of the Church as a kind of community of bishops or a community of persons who say and believe in a certain creed, but it must be the truth of each one of us members of the body of Christ individually in our own personal relationships to speak the truth with love, to love within the context of truth itself. But that is accomplished when truth ceases to be an itself, because truth cannot be in the neuter and it. Truth is he, he who is. Truth is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is truth. It is the three persons of the Holy Trinity in their individuality and in their unity. So it is that you and I have received that great commission. And what a difficult and what a wonderfully difficult commission it is to be that for another person to be that standing in prayer at night every evening before the face of the living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the truth. You and I come, well, if we tell the truth, you and I come before that ultimate truth in all our dishonesty, our personal dishonesty, those many nefarious ways that we have learned, yes, even from childhood, to evade truth, to use certain dishonest dodges with ourselves and with others. Truly, as members of that church which anathematizes all untruth, you and I, can truly begin our evening prayers 
considering our dishonesties and say in utter truth, to hell with all of that. Let me be done and finished with all of that. And summon ourselves, baptized, chrismated, communing Christians, once again, referring everything that is in us to that ultimate truth who is Christ the Lord. There is no other way for us. You and I will never overcome even one teeny weeny demon. We are too weak, too vacillating, too unsure. But we have an ally whom we can summon in all of our weakness, in all of our sinfulness, that ally who will come as he came today to the apostles, the Holy Spirit, that ally who will always come if we knock at his door, who is the door, our Savior Jesus Christ, that ally who is the Father who reaches his arms out to us to embrace us in his fatherly love. That is our ally, the Holy Trinity. And what we cannot accomplish in our own life, he can He wants to. We know that God wills that every man should be saved. Every one of us, all of us, all mankind. We say in the prayer that we have just begun to say, beginning with the vigil of last night, Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things. Do we think that you and I are exempted from that? That he is everywhere else but me? He is in everything except myself? What greater sadness could there be then if that were true and it is not true? The Holy Spirit is as much in you as he is in Saint Seraphim of Sarov or of any saint whose life was filled with the joy of the presence of God every day of the year. Saint Seraphim, who moved by the Holy Spirit, never said, Come in, hello, how are you? But always said, Christ is risen, even on Good Friday. Who never said to you, John or Harry or Dick or Chuck, but who said, Radast Maya, my joy, that is your name. May that become the name of everyone who is in your life, everyone who inhabits your world, large or small. We may not use the name for everyone. I think if I go to check out my groceries at Safeway and address the cashier as my joy, there might be some problems. But in our hearts, who else can the other one be but my joy? And when my enemy is given that name by me, is he still my enemy? Or have I already transfigured the relationship in such a way that he is no more my enemy? May God grant that you and I, piece by piece, chunk by chunk, 
can apprehend this remarkable day, this, as it is called, the last, the great day. But its lastness, its finality, is the lastness of perfection, and therefore it is also the first and the inaugurating day of the rest of the year for me until the next one comes, if we live to see it. Glory to God for a a feast such as this that brings the waters of the presence of the Holy Spirit rushing up within each one of us. May we learn how to live with those waters in such a way that we no longer ignore their compelling and credible presence within us. Amen. And Amen.